Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hello, Disruptors. Welcome back to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. This is Melissa, your American host. And this is Tabitha, your Australian host. We are so happy to have you here today. Um, I just want to take a minute. Tabitha and I just want to express how grateful we are for all of the love, support, downloads, feedback. It's just been an amazing ride. Um, Each time an episode goes live, the feedback we get from you guys listening has just been absolutely incredible. Um, We've had some incredible people come on the show, and we just want to take a minute to say thank you so much before we dig into this next science-heavy nerd-out episode. Yeah, we really love looking at the interactive app. And if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you'll see that we post every week about different countries that are listening. And we get so excited when we're like, Libya, listen to us, or someone in Brazil has downloaded our episode. And it just seems so amazing that people from all over the world are listening. And we haven't stopped getting excited about that for one it's minute. Not <laughs> at all. Like when we started this last year, we were kind of like, who's okay, this is cool. We're going to do this for us. But it's been so impactful and so amazing. And um, that kind of brings us into the segue of this episode, because we are going to be talking about something that is near and dear to both of our hearts, that connection to being that healthcare hygienist. And um, we're going to be talking today about dementia because it is uh, Dementia Awareness Month this month. Yeah, and unfortunately, my family's been um, affected by dementia. My aunt, who I'm very, very close to and practically raised me as a kid, had moved into a um, aged care facility in the middle of COVID, actually. Um, and it's been really hard for our family, uh, dealing with the loss of her before her body actually leaves and dealing with the emotional loss of someone's personality and not having them as a caring person about you anymore and all of those things. So it's definitely been something that has been heartbreaking to watch. It's been amazing to watch my uncle as the most amazing carer that's ever walked the face of the earth. So there's some there's some beautiful oh. moments in it as well, you know, watching him try and do her mascara and, and you know, he's a seven-year-old man, you know, trying to do her makeup and make sure she's always looking beautiful. And, um, you know, that's just really sweet to see. But it's... I can see how hard it is for families and how difficult a time to get things done. So I think it's made me a more compassionate hygienist because I really understand if they're not brushing someone's teeth, how difficult that can be sometimes, especially when we get to quite aggressive stages of dementia, which I've unfortunately witnessed as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about statistics, how it affects, and then we'll wrap it up with some oral health tips at the end. Um, dementia impacts close to half a million Australians and almost 1.6 million Australians are involved in their care. And the number of people living with dementia is set to double in the next 25 years. 
More than 6 million Americans of all ages have Alzheimer's, and an estimated 6.2 million Americans age 65 and older are living with Alzheimer's dementia in 2021. 72% are age 75 and older, and one in nine people age 65 and older, which is 11%, has Alzheimer's dementia. So that's pretty significant. It is, isn't it? And so when we look at the World Health Organization and we look at some worldwide statistics, it talks about dementia as a syndrome, which um, is there a deterioration of the cognitive function beyond what might, what might be expected from the usual consequences of biological ageing. Although dementia mainly affects older people, it's not inevitable consequence of ageing. So not everyone will get it when they age. Currently, more than 55 million people live with dementia worldwide. That's double the Australian population. And there are nearly 10 million new cases every year. That's huge. So when you think about that, if we're adding 10 million a year, that's moving on the on an upward motion. Like that's actually quite fast, isn't it? When you think there's 55 million at the moment, but one fifth of that is increasing every year. It's quite big. That That is huge. And uh, dementia results from a variety of diseases and injuries that primarily or secondarily affect the brain. Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia and may contribute to 60 to 70 percent of cases. Dementia is currently the seventh leading cause of death among all diseases and one of the major causes of disability and dependency among older people globally. Dementia has physical, psychological, social, and economic impacts, not only for the people living with dementia, but also for their carers, their family, and society at large. So it does have such a broad spectrum of people that this affects. It's, yeah. It's really devastating. It's most definitely the psychological and social impacts for the immediate family and extended family is quite huge. Like, you know, I've definitely witnessed with my aunt and uncle they were going out a lot less so my uncle was socialising less. It was affecting his work, it was affecting their social ability and also affecting his mental health as well because how horrible is that to watch someone you love just slipping away? And, you know, it's, it's quite heartbreaking as a family member to walk in and not be recognised by someone that you love. Yeah, both of my grandparents had dementia and... It was very interesting because my grandfather presented with it first and my grandmother was his primary caregiver. And you would kind of like, they lived in Florida and I'm in New Jersey, so I didn't get to see them very often. But when you, when we went to visit him, I was so nervous that he wasn't even going to know who I was when I got there. And it is, it's so, it's painful. It, it's just, and you, it's not their fault and you know that, but it's just, it's such a tough psychological impact for everyone that's involved. And then the interesting thing that we noticed um, after my grandfather had passed was my grandmother declined cognitively extremely rapidly. And then she suffered with it too. And it was just heartbreaking to, you know, try to hold conversations with her and such. It's just very difficult. And again, it's no one's fault, but it's very impactful for everyone that's involved. It is. And it's, um, you know, for care, especially for caregivers being there full time, it's, it's very hard. And, you know, my hat goes off to all caregivers, whether they're children or cousins or parents or um, partners. It's a tough job. And it's done with a lot of love and a lot of work and a lot of heartache. So, you know, really have a lot of respect for those people. Shout out, Uncle Danny. Thank you for taking such good care of Gran. (laughs) So dementia um, is usually chronic and of progressive nature that leads to deterioration of cognitive function. So the ability to process thought, 
beyond what might be expected, the usual consequences of biological ageing. It affects memory, thinking, orientation, comprehension, calculation, learning capacity, language and judgment. Um, the conscientious is not affected and the impairment in cognitive function is commonly accompanied and occasionally preceded by changes in mood, emotional control, behaviour or motivation. And dementia results in a variety of diseases and injuries that primarily or secondarily affect the brain, such as Alzheimer's disease or stroke. And we definitely um, saw this in our family as well, is that it was small things that were being forgotten and then, you know, they turned into to bigger things and language started to be really affected with not knowing what words to put in sentences and things like that. But I think really the hardest thing for all of us was the mood changes. So my aunt went from being someone to me as someone that was very loving and caring and had played a huge role in my life to almost cranky when she saw us like because she didn't know I think because she didn't know who she, who we were and so she was obviously anxious about these strangers visiting her so then you had this weird feeling of should I even see you because you seem to be anxious I'm leaving in tears this is probably like is anybody having a good time right now <laughs> like yeah. It's it's really hard. It's it's just it, it, if you really think about how horrible that is for everyone involved, like it's just very sad. Yeah. And and we're at the point where you know because this disease progression is is impacting so many people, how do we how do we help reduce that? Like where are we going with this? You know, it's it's and it's obviously a global issue, right? Because the numbers are high with you, the numbers are high here. And they just are projected to continue to, to grow and grow and grow. Yeah. So uh, dementia and segue into that without even realizing it. Dementia is currently the seventh leading cause of death among all diseases and the one major cause of disability and dependency among older people worldwide. There is often a lack of awareness and understanding of dementia resulting in the stigmatization and barriers to diagnosis and care. Yeah, I definitely saw my family... Um getting diagnosed quite late so I'm not living in the same town as my family so it was quite obvious when I came home that something was wrong like you know because I'm like going this doesn't seem right and when I mentioned something I was like no she's just getting older because when you're there every day but I also think having to mentally deal with that diagnosis was something no one wanted to do with so that deal with so then it, it delayed getting that diagnosis as well and it's a scary diagnosis, you know, because we know, everyone knows that we're not, we're not healing it, we're not reversing it, it's only going to get worse. So then I think that leads to not wanting to go for it as well and makes it really hard for people. Absolutely. So dementia affects each person in different ways depending upon the underlying causes, other health conditions and the person's cognitive um, functioning before becoming ill. The signs and symptoms linked to dementia can be understood in three stages. So there's early stage, and this early stage of dementia is often overlooked because it's the onset is gradual and common symptoms include forgetfulness, losing track of time, or becoming lost in familiar places. And I definitely saw this in my aunt, and we and we all kind of dismissed it. We'd had a quite a traumatic event happen in my family um, at the same time as the onset of her symptoms, and a lot of us put that down to some depression and stress. Right. We yeah. ignored it for a long time thinking that it was the stress of the traumatic event that had happened and we all didn't realise that there was actually something else major going on. 
And it's funny because like, what, what is early intervention for this? Right. We don't really. Um, with my aunt, we tried the intervention stuff, but we probably did it a bit later, but we actually saw an improvement with, um, vitamins. So the dementia specialist that we saw put her on a liquid drink that was really high in certain nutrients and helps with, um, the, like the brain function and it not um, progressing as fast. And it's a shame we hadn't have got into that stuff earlier because we got there quite late in the picture. But we even saw for about a year we saw improvement and then it went downhill again. But we all kind of, you know, hindsight's lovely, but we all kind of were, wondered if we had got that a bit earlier, would we have slowed it down even more wow. or have just gone this way? But it is interesting some things that they're doing in diet. And when we saw a specialist, they talked a lot about, sugar and the impact on our brain function and they were talking about um dementia being like type type 3 diabetes and very so it was it's quite interesting some of the research that's going on with that as well yeah there's there's some interesting facts that i have found about um you know just brain health and and your brain ability not not exactly related to uh, alzheimer's dementia but just in general for brain function and, and there's a lot of things that are correlated with diet. And um, I, I've listened to Jim Quick before. He's kind of like this cognitive um, specialist with utilizing your brain. Uh, he's a really great resource if you want to check him out and, and like memory things, things along those lines. And um, he talks a little bit about diet. And, and he had mentioned that foods that look like brains are actually good for your brain, like a walnut. <laughs> like walnuts resemble a brain and we should be eating those to help. And there is, there's, there's certain types of fats that are really good for our brain. Um, one of the things too, that I've researched is coconut oil. Yeah. Just simply cooking with coconut oil, um, for people like you and I, Tabitha, who have this genetic predisposition can help slow the process down of these things. So it's, it's just really interesting that the, uh, preventative measures, which, you know, that's what we live for is all prevention. That's our, our whole, uh, profession is based on that. So it's just interesting the connections we can help make. And, and again, bring that education to our operatories for our patients. And I definitely think, I don't know if you get it, but I, it's something that I do think about. I think there is that genetic disposition in my family and it does give me anxiety of having something like dementia. I'm like, God, I can't think of anything worse. Like this is not the one thing I want to get. Like this is not the one the thing I want from my family. <laughs> right. Right. Of course, because you think about what you saw your uncle go like when yeah. you're witness with your uncle, I'm thinking about like, you know, my family and how it impacted me. I don't want that for my children. Yeah. You know, have to do that for me one day. So yeah, absolutely. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight it every way I can. <laughs> um, so middle stage, as dementia progresses to the middle stage, the signs and symptoms become clear and may include becoming forgetful of recent events and people's names, becoming confused while at home, having increased difficulty with communication needing help with personal care and experiencing behaviors, including wandering and repeated questioning that I have to say was probably the hardest part for me with my grandma. Like we would, she'd, how are you doing? How are the kids? And we'd just go through it. And then she'd, how are you doing? How are the kids? And I'm like, Oh yeah. And my um, aunt started to really um, like she, we've got a farm, like we're on a farm and we're a long way on a dirt road from a sealed road and a long way from town. And she'd be like, did you, you know, there's people coming up the road annoying me at night. And we're like, no, like we'd really notice if there were people. So, you know, and she 
would always be thinking that someone broke into the house and stole a handbag, but it's actually just on the lounge next door, like becoming quite distressed really easily. And so as much as you can sometimes at the end of the day be a bit like, oh, my God, we've gone over this. Like, But then I also would think, oh, she must be really anxious feeling all of this all the time. Like it must be a really horrible feeling for them to be in this state of anxiousness all the time. Close to before my grandmother had passed, she had a lot of anxiety attacks. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's horrible to think of, isn't it? Especially when you're like, you know, at that phase of life, it's like you would hope that things are just like easy and carefree and loving. And, and no, as you progress in age, it can be extremely stressful. And especially if you're dealing with something like this and to have that, it was just heartbreaking to watch her go through that. Yeah. So late stages, um, the late stage of dementia is one of near total dependence and inactivity. Memory disturbances are serious and the physical signs and symptoms become more obvious and may include becoming unaware of time and place, having difficulty recognising relatives and friends, having an increasing need for assisted self-care, having difficulty walking and experiencing behaviour changes that may escalate and include aggression. And um, we definitely notice, and I've noticed this in patients a lot as well with dementia, that they start shuffling. Mm -hmm. And um, so my aunt stopped like lifting her feet and in, and their home's like much older and it's got um, slate floors. You know how they're quite uneven. She had lots of accidents because she would trip just on that unevenness of the slate floor, which normally is not, has been, you know, she's lived in that house for longer than I've been alive and, and, and it isn't a problem. But um, she had a couple of bad falls and hit her head and needed stitches once and all of these things because of that. She's had a lot of difficulty, like, picking her feet. So you can see lots of other injuries were coming into play then with falling or losing her balance. And um, then definitely we started to see that aggressive behaviour. And I really feel like that's a manifestation of anxiety, of not knowing where you are all of a sudden. Who are these strangers that you're in a room for? Like, I couldn't imagine how scared that could make you feel. And then that could, you know, bring on, you know, we see dental patients every day who are aggressive to us out of anxiety. Of course, exactly. Yeah, and that's yeah, such a great connection to make. It's a normal thing. And so you can really see how a patient that has to come in for a dental appointment with dementia could be quite aggressive. Or um, mm-hmm. I've got one patient that I'm caring for at the moment. He's a really nice guy. But you, he comes into the appointment and he'll be really happy and then you can see him halfway through the appointment sometimes forget where he is. And then you can see his personality, like even changing in his face and him yeah. being a bit aggressive. And, and then you're like, all right, we need to wrap up the appointment because we know that he's. And then I'm like remembering to tell him, so this is where you are and this is what we're doing. And sometimes he'll be like, oh, yeah, that's okay. And other times he'll be like, why am I here? And so, yeah. you know, it must be really stressful to just feel completely out of control all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. It's the worst when like witnessing that and then doing the same, trying to be compassionate and just remind them of what they're doing, where they're, where they're at, that they're safe, that they're okay. It's, it's really, it's tough to, to witness that, you know, and, and then you're as a clinician, you're like, okay, I, I have enough time to do the best I can. It's not about like delivering this superior care anymore. It's like keeping them comfortable, keeping them happy and doing it as quickly and thoroughly as you possibly can. A hundred percent. Yeah. 
So uh, common forms of dementia, there are many different forms of dementia. Alzheimer's disease is one of the most common and may contribute to 60 to 70% of the cases. Other major forms include vascular dementia, dementia with Lewy's bodies, abnormal aggregates of protein that develop inside nerve cells, and a group of diseases that contribute to, I'm going to try to say this as best as I can, frontotemporal <laughs> dementia, <laughs> degeneration of the frontal lobe of the brain. Dementia may also develop after a stroke or in the context of certain infections such as HIV, harmful use of alcohol, repetitive physical injuries to the brain known as chronic traumatic. And I'm going to. Yeah, I can't say that one either. <laughs> Encephalopathy <laughs> or nutritional deficiencies. The boundaries between different forms of dementia are in indistinct and mixed forms and often coexist. So yeah, then like if you don't know a patient's full history, like if you don't know what they did for work for a living or, you know, if they have a history of playing sports, I'm sure we see this, you know, we've a lot in certain like aggressive sports like football and, and people have repeated concussions, soccer also. Um, and I'm sure there's others that I'm not mentioning right now, but there's there's a lot of different things that, again, we don't know all of the information when we're sitting with our patients, you know, no, no, no. Oh, wow. I can talk great today. But yeah, and it's it's quite heartbreaking. I had a patient that had Louis body and that is a combination of Parkinson's and dementia qualities combined. And he was quite young. He was only in his 50s when he had this. And I remember um, his wife used to bring him to his appointments all the time and she, he would have an appointment and she would have an appointment. And he was, because I was only seeing him every six months, he was declining quite rapidly. But the problem mm -hmm. for them is because they were quite young, she needed to keep working financially. And then I remember she came to one of her appointments by herself and I said, oh, where's blah, blah, blah. Because I knew he used to do some daycare days and I thought maybe she'd decide to come without him on a daycare day and she just broke down in tears. And I'm like, is everything okay? And she's like, look, I, I've had to put him into assisted care because he can't toilet anymore, he can't eat anymore, like all of these things. And she's like, I still have to work and make money because she's only in her 50s. Yeah. And she, she felt so bad for her. I remember I just gave her a big hug because she's like, I feel so bad. I feel like I've betrayed him. But the level of care that he needed was beyond what she could even give, even if she quit her job. And I remember saying that to her, even if you quit your job and money wasn't an issue, could you provide the care that he actually needs? Like, and um, But I just remember being heartbroken for her because, you know, the pain of having to do that to a loved one is so strong and it must be so hard when it's someone like your partner that you've been with for 30, 40, 50 years to have to say goodbye like a... I must, it, yeah, so I always try to think about that when carers come in with their partners in these situations or kids come in to be really respectful because that whole family is really going through a lot. Absolutely. And and that just made me think of too, you know, often we will as a profession react to how a patient might be more aggressive personality-wise than a chair but you don't know their story outside of what they share with you. You don't know what they could be dealing with at home. And, and just as you said that, a lot of times that patients get aggressive with us is be out of fear, out of anxiety, out of all the pressure of what might be on them outside of your interaction with them. So, you know, just, just really being compassionate makes a big difference for people. And 
I just think too, like when you get a dementia patient in and maybe their mouth is a bit of a mess, just be really kind about it because that carer might be doing the best they can do. But when they've had to toilet and feed an adult who's a loved one and maybe they've got their own kids or they've got something else going on as well or they're still trying to work and they're still trying to psycho- like psychologically function, mm-hmm. um, that's a hard job. You know, they're mourning someone while they're next to them. They're losing them in front of them, like, you know, and then also if they've got to that aggressive stage, you know, I remember my aunt would hit my uncle when she didn't want her teeth brushed. Mm-hmm. So they're not getting brushed that night. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you can see why if someone's becoming aggressive, you're very quickly going to step away, just try and stop the aggression and then brushing may not happen or, um, you know, if they're refusing certain foods and they just want to eat one thing, you, you just give it to them, don't you, sometimes? Because you just want to. It's just easier. Get through the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and when you think about, too, like some, at one point, my grandmother, they had a, a health aide come in to kind of help my uncle out a bit with her care. And and those people, you know, they're, they're very educated, but they're not educated in the wheelhouse that we're educated in. So that. You know, but as a family member, you're kind of thinking, okay, great. Well, I get some time off. You're going to do this, this, this. You might be assuming that their teeth are getting brushed in that process and they're not. So that's, that's um, another piece to think about, you know, and, and again, just kind of circling back. I know we've mentioned her before and we really have to invite and get her on, but Angie Stone developed an entire um, organization around hygienists being able to go into um, healthcare facilities and take care of the patient's oral health needs. So, um, and and we know the science is all there to back up the connection that that makes and how it improves overall health for these people. And if you think about the science too of Alzheimer's, dementia, and P. gingivalis specifically, and the fact that science has found gingy pains from P. gingivalis in the brains of these patients you know, we need to be screening for these risk factors when our patients are in their, their 20s and their 30s. Do you have a family member who has Alzheimer's dementia? And and this way we can help educate them how important their preventative care is to help eliminate that risk factor, to help reduce the risk that they might be walking that path one day. So again, this is being a healthcare hygienist. This is making those connections. This is really going above and beyond what our profession started out doing. Yeah, and because currently there's no treatment available to cure dementia and that's what's the really horrible thing. Anti-dementia medicines and disease-modifying therapies developed to date have limited efficacy and are primarily labelled for Alzheimer's disease. Through numerous new treatments are being investigated in various stages of clinical trials, we still don't have any solid, um, you know, answers. Additionally, much can be offered to support and improve the lives of people with dementia and their carers and families. The principal goals of dementia care are early diagnosis in order to promote early and optimal management, optimising physical health, cognition, activity and well-being, identifying and treating accompanying physical illnesses, understanding and managing behaviour changes and providing information and long-term support to carers. Risk factors and prevention, although age is known as the strongest risk factor for dementia, it is not an inevitable consequence of biological aging. Furthermore, dementia does not have exclusive does not exclusively affect older people. Young onset dementia, defined as onset symptoms before the age of 65, accounts for 9% of cases, which is pretty big percentage. Okay. 
Uh, studies show that people can reduce their risk of cognitive decline and dementia by being physically active, not smoking, avoiding harmful use of alcohol, controlling their weight, eating a healthy diet, and maintaining a healthy blood pr pressure, cholesterol, and blood sugar levels. Additional risk factors include depression, social, social isolation, low educational attainment, cognitive inactivity, and air pollution. So it's, it's pretty interesting, the different connections. But when we look at, you know, just the basics of taking care of our bodies, they're all outlined right there. And dementia has significant social and economic implications in terms of direct medical and social care costs and the cost of informal care. In 2019, the estimated total global societal cost of dementia was 1.3 trillion. I said that trillion. And these costs are expected to surpass 2.8 trillion by 2030 as both the number of people living with dementia and care costs increase. That is whoa. Hey, yeah. if you start coming in to see us, yeah. maybe three to four times a year. And this is where we talk Hello. about being these healthcare hygienists. It's, it's not just talking to our patients about their teeth. It's talking to them about how are you eating? How are you sleeping? Are you exercising? Because if you've got perio, you need to, you need overall health and we need to be looking at our full body health. And so we're not just looking at this section that we're cutting out. Like, you know, patients don't drop their teeth off. They don't come out, <laughs> like, unless they're dentures. But, like, then, like, the boat sailed. <laughs> but, you well, know. We've already, yeah, we've already failed them if they're dropping their yeah, teeth yeah, off. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's so, it's so impactful. And, and we just really need to embrace that role and, and start running and, and screaming and shouting about it because we can have – such a great impact. And this is, and this is again, bringing it back. Look at the impact on families and, and uh, carers. In 2019, informal carers, uh, which is commonly family members and friends, spent an average of five hours per day providing care for people living with dementia. This can be overwhelming. Physical, emotional, and financial pressures can cause great stress to families and carers, and support is required from health, social, and financial and legal systems. 50% of the global cost of dementia is attributed to informal care. So we have a piece of reducing that. And I think um, it's so important that as a society, we all think about like, how can we help and support more, but obviously prevention, making sure we're all healthy and we're, and we're really promoting that healthy lifestyle as much as we can, because it's so important. And, you know, we talk about, too, like how having that difficult time getting patients motivated, like to do the things we want them to do at home. Mention the fact that PG is found in the brains of Alzheimer's patients. You'll and, see their light, eyes light up. And I think also, like, again, once again, the patriarchy rules and women are more affected by dementia. So like, <laughs> <laughs> Globally, um, dementia has disproportionate dis impact on women and 65% of total deaths due to dementia are women and disability-adjusted life years due to dementia are roughly 60% higher for women than men. Additionally, women provide the majority of informal care for people living with dementia, accounting for 70% of the care hours as well. Thank you, patriarchy. But, like, again, it's, yeah. it's another way to speak to women as well that, you know, we are affected more. And you probably will end up being the carer. So get your partner to eat well too. 
Exactly. No more pushback on what's for dinner. Yeah. People with dementia are susceptible to dental problems for a number of reasons, including reduced saliva from taking medications that reduce the production of saliva by salivary glands. Saliva we know is essential to maintain a healthy mouth and prevent the onset of dental decay and other lesions or having a reduced flow of saliva even when not taking medications. Uh, medications or taking long-term sugar-based medications, which can also contribute to tooth decay, dry mouth, and difficulty using dentures. A change in the diet, um, changed eating habits, such as replacement of main meals with small snacks, uh, sucking on boiled lollies or drinking sugar tea, that will also alter their oral health and reduce dental care. Just having dementia or Alzheimer's reduces the ability over time to maintain their toothbrushing and just essential denture care as well. Yeah, and so I think Jackie, when Jackie um, Bigger was on when we did um, her episode with the senior dental care and she commented on this and it's something that I internally went, oh, God, I'm actually guilty of this, is about as family when we come to visit our family in aged care facilities, we don't know what to do. We're feeling a bit lost. So what do we think? So I know for my aunt, I'm like, Tim Tams, which you tried the other day, Melissa. Oh, so good. So I'll bring them in. <laughs> I'll bring them in because that will make her happy for two minutes. And it's it's the one thing she remembers, Tim Tams. You know, like th- this will make her happy. It'll make me happy because I made her feel happy. But I'm not really – and when she was talking about it, I was thinking, oh, God, I'm really contributing to her having dental problems though when she's not brushing well, you know, and, and then she's eating a packet of Tim Tams in one hit because I gave them to her and I didn't say anything. Like, you know, but thinking about – how many sweets are we bringing in? You know, is it a one-off or is it happening every time we come to visit? Are they just snacking on this? Are they giving cordial or like, you know, um, sugar-flavoured water at the aged care? You know, do we, need, do we need to step in and make sure they're having water? And we know that as they're, um, they're losing the ability to eat as well properly, their food becomes softer and the nutritional value is dropping and dropping. So, you know, these are all big problems that will affect their dental health as well when they're not chewing at that proper function and getting that self-cleansing and they don't have the good saliva flow to self-cleanse as well and all of those problems. So you can just start to see how even someone that enters care with okay teeth can go into problems really quickly. But if they're entering care with not good oral health, you could see how this is just a recipe for disaster really, really quickly. And this is why it's not about you know, freaking out at a certain age and deciding to look, take care of your mouth. We need to be taking care of our mouth so we're prepared for these end stages and we're prepared that we, you know, how much better is someone's life expectancy when something happens, like they have a stroke or something goes wrong if they've got good oral health or they start cancer treatment with good oral health compared to poor oral health. And, you know, like we don't know when something might strike, strike us down and change the projection of our life. And so it's really important that that oral health and our overall health is as good as it can be for when we hit these bumps in the road or these major life catastrophes that we can kind of approach them at the best way possible. Right. And I think that that's a message that we as a profession have to start doing better at sharing with the public because the general population does not know or understand how broad the connection is between their oral health and their total body health. And, and that's something that we just all, let's, let's make a pledge 2022. Let's all do that a little bit better because the patients deserve the people, the public they deserve. And if you look at the expensive, this, the expense, Tabitha said $1.3 trillion. Really? 
trillion that it is costing right now. Patients deserve the access to better care. And if we could get out there and we could be going, if I could be taking my airflow into an aged care facility and treating these people, uh, yeah. what an impact that would have, right? And, and, and again, being maybe even getting us into the school system at a younger age and really hitting that dental education harder and, and teaching children how to be brushing their teeth. Like that should be part of the curriculum at a young age so we can reduce these things. We could be, it would cost us, cost these countries peanuts to get us to do these things in comparison to the $1.3 trillion they're spending now that's projected to go higher and higher. So, 100% agree with you because I think how good would it be if every aged care facility had a dental chair and a dental professional that was in there every day working through all the clients? But really, if we want to prevent these problems, it's exactly like you said. There should be a dental professional at every primary school yes. talking to the students and doing things and we should have more access to care at a younger age to set people off on a better projection of their oral health. And we wouldn't need so much care at the end stages if we actually started off, you know, on that different, you know, someone like me, I don't have any fillings. So I'm going to obviously have better long-term oral health outcomes than someone that enters, you know, I don't know what's going to happen between now and aged care, but, you know, if I entered now, I've got these virgin teeth. But someone that has large five surface fillings on every tooth, well, they're going to break down, aren't they? We know as soon as you get a filling, it always needs replacing, like, nothing's for life so you know there's such you know if we could stop cavities if we could stop losing teeth and something that melissa and i feel really worried about as much as our lives have become implant dental care i am petrified for these all on x cases entering aged care facilities because i see major 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 problems coming our way and i'm sure there's already some it's quite interesting i had an aged care worker at, as a patient the other day and we were talking about um covid and restrictions on people coming in and stuff and i said oh yeah some of my friends work as like mobile aged care dental providers and unfortunately they're not allowed to enter under current covid restrictions which is just ridiculous because now we're just creating bigger health problems by them not being there Right. But, and then I just said to her, how many of your um, residents do you think have dental implants? She said, none, we have zero. And in my head I thought, there probably is some. This tells me no one knows. Mm-hmm. Yep. But if you've got 100, 150 people at that facility, it would be very unlikely that zero of them have an implant in this. I was like, there's probably at least one, if not even more, because, you know, I've got lots of older patients with implants. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And, like, and um, as the, the, that number is only going to go up. Yeah. Yes. It's raising dramatically. So how can we help our patients that already unfortunately have dementia and how can we talk to those family members and assist them? Well, they're often going to need help with dental care. So we're going to need to talk to the carers about helping them, um, talking to them about AIDS. So maybe larger handled toothbrushes, um, electric toothbrushes if they can tolerate that if they don't have any sensory issues or anything like that and that's why starting with an electric toothbrush early is a really good idea as well so it's just a part of our routine but you know looking at different ways maybe it's a larger toothbrush that you can just get in quickly with but something that you can get in there with and be brushing their teeth with um, reducing the sugar intake monitoring and reducing sugar um, where needed for people with natural teeth 
Um, making sure they're using a fluoride toothpaste so that they can get that fluoride into them. And then if they can, having regular visits. So, you know, either coming to a fixed dental practice like Melissa and I are at or accessing some of the great care like Jackie, who we had as a guest, had who does a mobile senior care business who visits people in their homes or in aged care facilities. So talking to our patients about, you know, when you can no longer come in, these are the options for coming to your home so they know that. So that they have maybe it'll be actually better for that patient not to see you because maybe if they're getting to that stage where they're getting quite aggressive in new environments, having someone come into their home that they know and feel comfortable in might make them less aggressive and more receptive to care. So you have to have discussions about what's best for that patient and maybe seeing you isn't the best option anymore. Maybe seeing someone like Jackie is. And so it's about thinking about best care for the patient all the time. Not what's best for your production and book, but what's best care for that patient and who would be the best provider to treat them. Right. Because at that point, it becomes like an event to get to the office, then to get from the car to the waiting room, to the chair. Sometimes, you know, you have to help these physically help these patients in and out of the chair from a wheelchair. So it becomes like this huge event for these people. And, And I don't again, I don't think we realize how impactful it is when they leave our practice, like what that's like for them getting there, going home, the exhaustion after. So there's a lot of, a lot of pieces to that. Yeah. And many people with dementia aren't able to express their discomfort or pain verbally in later stages of dementia. And they rely on family and carers to understand any changes in behavior that may indicate a dental problem as well, such as not eating or constantly pulling at their face or refusing oral hygiene care or other behavioural problems, but it's actually a dental problem. So talking to carers about this as well. But again, this just comes back to that need of we need to have good oral health from the beginning so we're less likely to have these problems now. And then I think talking to carers about denture care. So I think one of the things we have to be wary of is I don't really even like to touch dentures with my gloves on. I don't know about you, Melissa, but I'm not a fan. Like, I'm whenever a patient goes to put it in my hand, I'm like, on the tray, on the tray, on the tray. Like, you know, especially if I don't have gloves on, I'm like, I'm not touching that. Why do they do that? Why do they just like pull it right out and they want to hand it to you? Like, as soon as they walk through the threshold of the door. I've never loved dentures. I'm I'm like, oh, I actually did as a kid when I carried one around, but as an adult, as a don't love the ones that come out of people's mouths that much, usually because I see them and they look like, you're like, all right, I really need to clean that. But now yeah. think of carers who may not even have gloves at home and they've got to touch it and they don't want to. So I think going back to Mark, who we had on, um, Mark Wotherspoon, uh, and we did a great episode with him and we talked about his product that he invented called Dr. Hygiene and that appliance that they can put the denture in and not touch it and twist it. So make sure you're aware of all these products because that could be the difference between a carer cleaning the denture and not cleaning the denture. Right. It's got to be easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely got to be easy and it's more sanitary for everyone involved as well. It does a better job, but also they're not having to really physically touch it and it causes less dropping and breakages. But I just think, you know, make sure we've talked about this before and I think this is a really important aspect of conferences is trade is a super important place to go to because you find out about new products and new things and they may be crappy or they may be amazing. You have to then go do the independent research. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's a great product, but it's a great way to find out about new things. If we don't go and walk through trade, you'll still be using stuff from 1980 
and you won't know that all these new um, products are out and stuff like that. So I really think people shouldn't look at trade as just a time to eat and get something to drink. It really is a part of the learning process of the day. You, you can learn a lot in trade going to different booths and having discussions and finding out about new toothpastes or new um, devices that you can recommend to your patients and things like that. So I think we're, in Australia we don't have the opportunity to go to conferences at the moment. When they come back, or, you know, for our other overseas listeners who are lucky enough to be at conferences now, don't underestimate how important trade is and, and go say hi to those people. They're standing there all day. They'll really appreciate you interacting and chatting with them. You know, they're making sure that they're there to really support us as an industry. But really you can find out, you know, you can go see amazing products like Dr. Mark Idini. And, and I do love it that the Sensodyne booth at, um, in Australia always has ice cream. I've <laughs> <laughs> oh, ice cream. Before and after you put a yeah. sensodyne on, you know it is. I don't Very have to think it's so Yeah, for sure. It, it is important. I mean, we take that commitment as uh, dental hygiene professionals to be lifelong learners, and that is part of the process so that we can have the tools in our toolbox to help every type of patient that is presented in our chair. And one little tidbit of information I wanted to share, too, uh, just again, showing you how impactful our care is and taking it to that next level is um, there are studies out there from behavioral brain research, uh, and this goes back to 2013, that shows tooth loss induces memory impairment and neurological uh, cell loss. So there, there's the information is out there. You just have to kind of Google and look for it. So the fact that we can help prevent tooth loss also helps us prevent this for our patients. So we have two modalities to be able to do that with um, between reducing the prevalence of P. gingivalis in our patients' mouths and helping reduce tooth loss. So we have a huge role in the prevention of Alzheimer's dementia. Yeah. And I think, and we have a huge role in prevention. We have a huge role in support. Yes. You know, supporting the patient, supporting their family, educating them, letting them know of um, places they can access more help or products that could help them, you know, dry mouth products, extra fluoride products, toothbrushes that allow easier access or denture care. You know, how many people probably think you should keep your denture in a glass of water overnight, but the latest research shows that it should dry out? So, you know, are, are you up on your knowledge? Have you found that out? I only learnt that last year and that's because of Mark and updating my knowledge there. And do you know what I mean? Like, so... I've learned new things along the way constantly as well. And it's really important that we keep up um, updating all the time so that we can make sure we're giving the latest information and we can support as much as possible. Absolutely. And you have to remember too, this is just a little tidbit, tidbit of information for our new graduates. The things that you learn in dental hygiene school feel like they are, you know, the law and Bible while you're there. But you have to remember too, that sometimes it's not the newest uh, science and literature that is in your textbook. It takes a long time for a textbook to get updated and manufactured. So um, like Tabitha said, this is new research with denture care that we have just learned last year. And the materials that, that the laboratories are using to fabricate these dentures have changed significantly, even in the, the span that I have been a dental professional. So 
Um, that's, that's where these things and these connections need to be made. So please be a critical thinker. Please do your homework and research and, and share this education with other dental professionals you're working with. It's, you know, sometimes we get frustrated and get pushback because we know something, but somebody else doesn't maybe know the same information. So share and grow together. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's, it just have that compassion when someone comes in as well. I think about the things we've talked about today. It's it's not easy. So, you know, if things could be better, just understand that they're probably really trying and just try to support them as much as you can. And it's it's a really tragic thing that's happening. And some days just getting up and getting dressed and making it to that appointment, maybe there might have been aggression and fights and difficulties and, you know, lots of different stuff that happened all to get there. And, you know, if you've got a patient that's turning up into private practice because a family's taking them, they're a family that cares if they're bringing them to get preventative care and they're a family that's trying. Absolutely. And and you might have a cranky person in your seat for 45 minutes to an hour, but somebody else is dealing with that person all day, every day. Yeah. So not only showing compassion for that person in the chair who might not know why they're there or what their name is or, or what's going on and understanding where their, their emotion is coming from. Yeah. And then having compassion with, like you said, the family who cares enough to continue to, to do all that to bring them there. Yeah, 100%. So we hope you um, learned some stuff out of today's episode and that you, um, you know, feel empowered to really provide caring and um, empathetic care to your dementia patients and families. And we hope for those of you that are unfortunately experiencing this firsthand that you've got help and that you've got resources. We'll put a couple of resources there this, um, to the Dementia Awareness Month and some stuff for carers and for patients in the links into the episode as well. So thank you very much for listening to us tonight. We really appreciate it. To episode 19. <laughs> episode 19. That one. She, Tabitha's got her cup of uh, brewski tonight and I'm sipping my cup of coffee. <laughs> Oh, she's got water. She's not. She's not hitting the uh, the fun stuff yet. Yeah. <laughs> thank you again for listening, and until next time, keep on disrupting. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you, viewers, and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.